1: This is The Counter-Ruck, a podcast brought to you by The Irish Times. My name is Nathan Johns. Thanks to our sponsors, Nifty Business. You can find out more about them at niftybusiness.ie. On today's episode, I'm delighted to be joined by former Ireland international Gordon Darcy and our special guest, former Argentina and Leinster out-half and Leinster assistant coach Felipe Contopomi. Felipe's going to talk to us today about his old Argentinian teammate, Gonzalo Quesada, who is now the head coach of Italy. Of course, this is Italy week for Ireland in the Six Nations. Gordon is with me in studio. Felipe, you're joining us on the line. I assume you're back home in Argentina?
2: Yeah, yes, I'm back home in Argentina, yeah.
3: you got the fees up. So are you, are you working at the moment? Are you doing anything or just...
2: Yeah, no, definitely. It's... it's um... Well, actually, there's uh, quite busy because I have to uh, build up the team, and we, we are we've been uh, we've made some changes. So uh, there's a lot of meeting administration thing at the moment, but um, yeah, working. Yeah, Sorry, we
1: should we should say we did him a disservice. He is actually
2: now the Argentina yeah, he's ha- the head. head coach. He's the head coach. You got, uh,
3: you got rid of you got rid of checks finally, and. Uh, taken the taken the taken the top row
2: no checks been been really good for us and and personally i was very happy to continue with him but well then there's different things that they, they didn't agree but um it's been it's been really good the the year and a half with checks and i think for us it's like a continuity of a process even if it's a new cycle a world cup cycle we will continue doing what we've started with checks you know so um that's the the whole idea, yeah.
1: Former Leinster coach, Michael Checa, of course, who was in charge of Argentina at the World Cup. That kind of brings us full circle to, to, to all these connections. Yourself and Felipe played together. Uh, you played under Michael Checa. You played... In that famous Heineken Cup winning, winning, winning side, um, albeit if, if you did miss the, the end run with with injury, Felipe. But I mean, you guys, you guys clearly go back quite a way. Um, looking at the the history of the, of the province, there, 2006 in Toulouse, that famous win stands out. The the monster match in Crow Park, where where you did get injured, Felipe. That that stands out as well. You you guys have had some uh, some pretty big days together.
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and got off to a bit of an auspicious start. when I suppose we forgot to register them in uh, in Europe.
2: Yeah, exactly. But, uh, you know, things that happens. And, um, but I think it was a, it was a great, great time in, in Leinster. And more so, I had the, the chance to, um, practice your place to kicking. finish my, ma- yeah. <laughs> 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 and, and, and out to touch as well. <laughs> my whole kicking. <laughs> I, I was lucky, you know, it was, um, playing with, well, Tars, Trico, Gerv. Shaggy Dennis it it was like uh, I, I was really lucky to feed into you know those those bats you know he was your 10
1: you were playing one one outside him for, for a lot of your career what was he like to play outside of I always
3: going to say very lucky to play with him one of the one of the most naturally skillful players um to play It could be frustrating sometimes when wouldn't uh, kick the ball <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, especially but- on a quarter final Winning 8-6 in in Harlequins and not kicking it out to finish the game, no? Yeah, <laughs> but I
3: think what was, I think like all the players that Felipe mentioned there, I think we all had a very similar philosophy on how we wanted to play rugby. We actually did want to attack with as much as possible and I think we started getting that balance right Around, probably from 2006 onwards. We're probably maybe one or two players short up front, maybe. But I think the overall philosophy of how we were trying to play was very much in there. And probably that win in Toulouse was very much a turning point for us because, you know, we were probably underdogs going into that game. But then defensively, we showed a bit of spirit, a bit of character. But the um, ambition to go for that final try was... Was exactly what we wanted to try and build on as a as a team. Was this the Denis Hickey try in the corner? Yeah, the Denis Hickey try, and it's gas because it's one. It was it was across the board because Malcolm O'Kelly is standing out on the wide touch lines, and he's actually the one calling the space to Felipe and to calling it in. You can just see his big, you know, big arms sticking out, going shouting at Felipe. The space is wide. The space is wide, and two quick passes gets the ball out there and. You know, the rest is a little bit of history.
0: It's on again. Conde Pome says, "We'll go." Hickey, Hickey is racing away, and he's going to get past Pullens. He's got to time his pass. Darcy, back to Hickey. Hickey for the corner.
2: That is awesome.
1: <laughs> what are your memories of that day, Felipe? I think think you kicked 21 points that day.
2: Yes, I think I think it was uh, the same as as Tar said. It was uh, great to go. I-, I think I don't know why. And now in the last few years, maybe uh, Ireland lost a bit of respect, but they had too much respect for the French sides or playing in France more than not. Not when they play in Ireland, but playing it in France is a special thing. And I think that day we realized we could. Uh, Obviously, they beat uh, the two tries of coin in in, um, in Paris in 2000, 2001, whatever. But going to France against the best team in France, it was like something you took out of your shoulder and, and kind of lost that respect or that thing of, uh, no, this, we can't do it. We actually can, you know. So it was great. Yeah, I think it was great. Unfortunately, one week later, we hit the <laughs> we hit the wall but <laughs> against the great monster team, but you know, it's but it, it reality came there we we weren't prepared yet, you know.
1: In terms of the out half position, uh Felipe, Gordon was talking about about Jack Crowley there. You've obviously worked with quite a few guys who would be looking to push on and and compete with Jack now now that Johnny Sexton is gone when you were coaching at Leinster, you obviously had uh, both Harry Byrne and Ciaran Frawley, uh, Rossburn maybe if he if he wasn't injured would be in the conversation a, a, as well. From the guys that that you've worked with, those out halves, um, I know you you well you left what a couple of years ago, so Johnny was still there when, when you were coaching at Leinster. But how equipped are those players, those Leinster out halves? Do you think to to kind of push Jack Crowley now, especially given Crowley was so good on Friday night? Uh, how do you think they'll fare with that challenge?
2: First of all, it's not easy to step into the boots of of Johnny. You know, um, he left a, a void, a space there, and Jack probably did really well. I think, obviously, with lots of things to improve and some mistake, but his character, like mistakes, wouldn't wouldn't influence. You know, he got better when the time went by. I think Ireland, it's in a. In a very good spot in terms of outcomes, you know. When you speak about the two Barons, Ross, and and Harry, when you speak about Froley, I can talk more of the Leinster guys because I know them better. But you see some Prendergast coming down uh, a bit uh, on the ranks, and Jack Crowley for me, it's a, it's a outstanding out half, so young and and with such a character. So I don't know. If you have another Johnny or it will come someone straight away, like as good as what he, he's been, you know, but, uh, Ireland, they have good uh, cover there, you know, with, with those guys,
1: those young Leinster players. Um, obviously Kieran was on the bench in Marseille, probably more so because of his versatility than anything else, cover, covering fullback and center. And with a 6-2 bench, you need that versatility. But I think, I think it's fair to say throughout the last few years in bigger matches. When Johnny hasn't been there, it's been one of the Burns probably, and this season especially Harry, who's kind of been trusted to step up for Leinster. Whereas in previous years, I think Frawley has probably been ahead of him in the pecking order for Ireland, at least with with, with Farrell. Do you think there is that little bit of are the players viewed slightly differently between between Leinster and Ireland camp? Do you think?
2: It, it depends what you want. Like as you said, you know, um, Frawley there, it's it's covering. He, he's a brilliant player to have because he's such a, a, a skillful, natural skillful player that he can play 10, 12, 15. Um, he's, got, he's very gifted fitness-wise and so on. So um, he's a great guy to have around because uh, now the, the problem when you're so good and so versatile, you don't get the expertise or you don't get always the same position to play in. But he's more than good enough to play. As an out half or a 12 or, or, or a 15. The other, the, the Burns and, and Prendergast, they are more uh, natural tens and they play 10 and that's, that's their position, you know? So it, it depends what you need and what you want to get out of, of how you want to make those covers and so on. But I, I think anyone can step in there. It's not about one player. Ireland is not relying on one savior coming, one player coming there and doing uh, individual brilliance and carrying all the team by himself. It's, it's one, one fifteenth of the team. You know, everyone does the role. And that's why Ireland plays so well because they understand their role and someone. And and I think any of those guys can step in and play and, and do their role. And, and just the, the team will keep on playing.
1: That's a really good point, actually, because I think it, it's two things. One is that Ireland have kind of in the last couple of years of his career, they probably took a lot of responsibility off, off Sexton's shoulders in, in attack. And you saw Ringrose step up, Keenan step up. But equally, as a country, we're so used to that out half being one guy, the kind of the cult of personality of he's the guy. It was Elwood, it was Humphreys, it was Raj, it was Johnny. Like, we might actually just be in an era now where it's not going to be one guy. It might there might be one. For Jack, he might get a few years, but it could be a little bit more by committee. Is that fair enough?
3: Um, yeah,
1: I, I think yeah. There's there's
3: lots of uh, lots of water to go under that particular bridge, and probably Lenser need to get a consistency in their out half to see can they create a, someone to ch- to to challenge Jack Rowley because at the moment there's continuous change in there, so nobody is really getting a good a good run at it. I think as well in the positions. For most teams, the role has changed. Really, the nine is such an important position now. For most teams, you look at how important Gibson Park is, Anton Art Aaron Smith, uh Kirk. That role has grown way more in the last ten years, and I'd say uh, they have they have probably more impact on or can have more impact on games than the actual number 10 so you're kind of wondering you know is that era of the 10 being the most dominant position in the in the halfback pairing has that changed probably has and the responsibility so when Jack Rowdy comes in you know he doesn't have to be the be all and end all of everything James Lowe can do the you know the relieving kicking Gibson Park can do some of the tactical kicking with the box kicking Um, other players can take responsibilities so You look at the more dangerous playmaking out-halves coming to the fore with players like Marcus Smith, Finn Russell... Bart in those key positions, um, you know Garbisi even for Italy, who will get on to um, at the weekend the halfbacks for Gar- the Garbisi brothers at halfback uh, for Italy this weekend, really playing um, you know sharing that workload again. So I think yeah, definitely the, the the way the positions have changed, which will I think naturally suits a player like Jack Crowley, Kieran Frawley, Harry Byrne, where they are more individual
1: threats in that position. Felipe Gordon made a really good point there on the Leinster 10s maybe not getting nailed down as the starter for an extended period. I think Ross Byrne has done it a little bit when Sexton was injured, but this season it's been a rotation. Do you think that's the right way to go about it? Ro- rotate these three young guys, four if you include Prendergast, or is it a case of one guy should kind of be given the keys to the car
2: and, and see, see, see what he can do? No, the problem, I, I think, if you can have three guys playing and the, the team keep performing at the same level, that's the ideal world. An injury can take you out. And if you're depending on one player for him to be the, the mastermind, I can guarantee you it's Murphy's law. When you are on a final, day before, three days before he's injured, and what do you do? No one can step up. You're in the ideal world, but it's the, the difficult thing is to, to get a team to perform and a system for you to perform and no matter who plays, the team will play the same way. That's the most difficult thing to to do. And I think Leinster has done it. And I think Ireland has done it. And and that's why they are so successful.
1: I think you can actually make the point as well, if you wanted to, that Leinster have done that for a while now. Because, I mean, I think when you got injured, Felipe, that day in, in Crow Park in 2009, and, and Sexton came on and did what he did, I think that that caught a lot of people outside of Leinster by surprise but you know he's not doing that out of nowhere he's, he's doing that because like you said he's he's probably slotted into a system and he's and he's and he's performed really well yeah like
3: I think you get that every player has a a moment or a day or a time where that's that's their opportunity and they either take it or they don't take it um, Johnny's happened to be um, that day in Crow Park um, and he was ready to go into it and again as Felipe's talking about it's quality all around him, a system, but like at that time it was there was there wasn't systems you know you had loose structures about directions of where you might go. you had maybe one or two power plays, an awful lot of it was playing what was in front of you at that time, and you know we have a very very structured approach to rugby, and I think the best teams are trying to rediscover how they play a little bit more. Like Jack Crowley, a, a perfect example of it, has had a meteoric rise at probably four times over the last eighteen months. Has had to prove, has had an opportunity, and he's taken every one of those milestones. You know, has delivered and gets the plaudits um, as 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 they go along.
1: I'll continue my chat with Felipe and Gordon after the break. Welcome back to The Counter-Ruck. I'm Nathan Johns. Still here with me is Gordon Darcy and Felipe Contopomi. I want to talk to you now as well, Felipe, about uh, Italy's coach. Obviously, it's it's Italy on Sunday, Ireland. are playing. They have a new guy in, uh, Gonzalo Quesada. Probably a little bit of an unknown on this side of the water. I know he's coached a lot in French rugby. Uh, it's been a while since, since he played... Um, the only thing I can remember about him is the the English journalists nicknaming him Speedy Gonzalo because he took too long over his place kicks. Uh, that's my abiding memory of him. But you obviously, I he, he think he's a little bit older than you, Felipe. So you guys, he, maybe he was more established in the Argentina squad when, when you came in. But what what are your memories of, of working with him, what he was like as a player and how he looks at the game?
2: I know him quite well. Um, our families are good good friends. He was a brilliant kicker, like brilliant kicker, one of the best I've ever played with uh, in terms of um, goal kicking. And I know he took a lot of time and kept, <laughs> kept kicking. Even when the tee came up, he kept kicking with sand. So I think he was the last kicker with sand uh, in the world. Um, he's As a coach, I think he's a, he's a very smart Good meticulous coach. Obviously, he he's got a challenge in front because um, Italy, because of the history of Italy in the Six Nations and so on. But I think he inherited a very good Italian team because uh, Crowley did a very good job there. You could see the improvement last year in the Six Nations and so on uh, from, from Italy. And Gonzalo would inherited that and and some very young players, good young players with a lot of enthusiasm. And I'm sure that he will build a good culture around the, the team f- to bring out the mo- the best out of them, you know?
1: Stylistically, what do you think about the appointment? Because you look at the way Italy play, they throw the ball wide than, more than any other team in the Six Nations. I think I saw a stat the other day that I think something like 60% of their attacks go more than 10 metres from the rock. So they play a lot wider than teams like Ireland, teams like France, teams like England. Um, And you look at that and you look at here's an Argentinian former out half coming in. You talk about DNA of countries. Everyone thinks of the Argentinian DNA as what you were saying earlier, Gordon, a little bit unstructured, a little bit more off the cuff. Put that with a team that needs to play wide in a way that makes sense. But equally, he's talking about making them a bit more pragmatic. We've only seen him play one match so far. But how how do you think he's going to marry his own philosophy with what Italy need?
2: He'll try to get the players make the right decision when to go or went to be more like okay we'll go and play down there i think he'll be more like that rather than just playing for the sake of playing wide wide or and he's quite smart in in, in that sense he works really hard so he'll definitely would have studied uh, or will study uh, ireland quite well and he will know where to go and try to attack them you know now for me he has a big challenge this weekend because you're playing ireland at the moment probably One of the best, if not the best team in the world, you know, so it's a, it's a tough one, but he'll be more pragmatic than maybe what Italy has shown the last six nations.
3: So, and that's, it's a really good, I suppose, trying to draw that out a little bit. If you're setting up a team. So you have a way to go. So what Italy have now is they've put in an awful lot of younger players, and they are very good. They've all come through the underage under Stephen Abood and there's been a big focus on skill set and uh, attacking rugby. So now they've got they have invested in youth uh, in the Six Nations. As a coach, when you talk about setting them up in a uh, in a pragmatic way you also have to let players make decisions on the field. And how do you strike that balance between trying to win the game and then letting players take risks because that's what they did very well against Italy, where they saw the opportunities, they backed themselves, they went after them. It's kind of that chicken and an egg scenario for a coach. You want to win the game, you talk about being pragmatic, having a strong kicking game, but then you also want to back your players when they see the opportunity to go after it. So like the Garbisi brothers were a perfect example of that. They they made really, really strong decisions uh so that must be a, an attribute of his as well where he's putting them into a shape but also telling them that if you
2: see it play it when i talk about system in ireland it's more more than system is principles of play or fundamentals of your game you know and when you have that identity it's about trusting that you won't judge them by the outcome but more so by the decision they make
3: They'll have to, have to be, try something creative, but I think it is interesting. It, it goes back to that thing of um, it's, getting the pl- it's getting the person ready at this level, isn't it? Ra- not so much as coaching and is, telling them what to do. Is
1: that different? Because I think towards yeah. the back end of your career, Darce, the narrative at least was that being in an Ireland environment was very prescriptive. Whereas I think nowadays, it's like Felipe says, the modern day coach is much more about, okay, you coach the decision maker rather than the individual decisions.
3: Yeah, well, what happens with uh, probably around 2012, 13 was we got into this era of structured multi-phase attack. And it probably took three or four years for the defences to figure out how to counter it. But once they figured out how to counter it, that was almost the end of the multi-phase structured multi-phase attack, where players didn't have to think, they didn't have to look, they just went rook by rook. So that game has completely evolved now. So now we are tr- you are asking players to think again and to make decisions. So that's where it's for me it comes into that whole thing of you, it's the culture you in behind it, the trust between the coach and the players the players have that psychological safety where they know if it's the right decision but the execution is wrong that it's okay
1: On that point uh, Felipe it's it's really interesting with the the eras and the structured era to the slightly less structured era um I think when you played when you played definitely in that Argentina team it was a lot more off the cuff less structured play so you look at yourself you look at someone like Gonzalo who was also an out half who played in that era It's, it's really interesting to see you guys now coaching when the game has changed so much um is that difficult going through that process and kind of coaching in a way that might be slightly different to what came naturally to you when you were a player
2: We were playing off the cuff without a frame. We were just playing really. Now there is, for me, the the right balance is to set up a frame for them to make good decisions. The difficult thing in a team sport is that you have 15 players, and if everyone is playing their own game and they don't understand the frame you're playing in, it's very difficult to coordinate or have that cohesion between the players from our days playing off the calf we went to a. in general the world went to a very to the opposite being completely structured completely structured and that's where now you need to find the balance of giving the the players a frame to play with and allowing them to make decisions make decisions and show their skills you know
3: but even back when we when back when we played, starting to sound, we're not we're not that old that old yet, um, <laughs> but in that era when it was you know a little bit looser, there were players that were always thinking. It may not have been consciously, but they were still thinking about the game, so you know in in our team, it may have been you, it might have been Brian, it might have been Chris Whitaker or Guy, other players just thinking about maybe we should rolling the ball into touch, you know Ogara for Munster when uh, say a moment wasn't right, they would just roll the ball into touch people just their natural ability to read a game was present and it was kind of catered for and now you're kind of almost encouraging players to think like that again where you have to be it goes back to the whole the same principle the principles where you have to be thinking about is this a game management situation have we just scored have we just had an error or are we looking to build pressure and trying to develop that thought process with players again because I remember when you arrived and it like a a two-on-two in the wide channel reasonably well defended, I came back under for a switch and you ended up passing the ball into touch. But what was interesting about it was I was like, oh, this is a low, a low chance of us creating anything here. So i just try and cut back in to get, go for a switch and just try and find some support. Whereas you were actually able to go, I can get the outside defender to look in and then we create the opportunity on the, on the touchline. It was. Yeah. It took. It take. And it took me a little bit of time to, you know, to to understand. But then, once you understand the players and their capability, it's kind of what you're saying. You you've got that. Once you give them a little bit of freedom and they understand, but you have to make some mistakes along the way. But then, ultimately. What's more valuable, running a switch back into traffic and creating another rook or creating an opportunity down in a, in a, in a five-meter channel? And that's where we're, we're, we're slowly coming back around to, um, I think, in rugby.
2: Yeah, exactly. And, and there's no right or wrong in rugby, you know, and that's the thing, because what, what you were thinking is correct, and what I was thinking is correct too. The thing is you need to put both minds on the same on the same page at yeah. the same moment and that's the that's the beauty of a team sport and that's where i feel that you need to give clear principle fundamentals a frame for them to express themselves afterwards you know but try everyone to read or, or be on the same page and that's the that's the art of coaching
3: <laughs> yeah well, and also let's be clear you were fu- you fully blamed me for the ball going into touch so <laughs> that's obviously an out, an out, an out half thing between you and you and all the other out halves I played but it was always that. my fault <laughs>
2: <laughs> that that's where that's where I've learned and I got better. There's no right or wrong. We were both wrong, but on those days you were wrong.
1: <laughs> it's never the ad house fault, Gordon, is it? Never never the ad house fault. Um
2: <laughs> Listen,
1: Felipe, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate that. Thanks, Dr. Phil.
2: Big pleasure. Take care.
1: Thank you for listening to The counter brought to you by The Irish Times. My name is Nathan Johns. My thanks again to our guests, Gordon Darcy, and of course, Felipe Contopomi. Many thanks to our sponsors, Nifty Business. They're at niftybusiness.ie. Be sure to subscribe to The counter wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back next Monday after the Ireland-Italy game.